you do want to make changes is having objective data, showing them, showing them with the numbers. Hey, man, uh, I know you think your knuckleball is a good pitch, but you throw this a 20% strike clip in such and such situations. That's a pitch that if you're throwing it at 20% versus your, your slider, you throw it 60%. We're going to need strikes and you're going to need to cut that out. What's up and welcome to Ahead of the Curve. I am Jonathan Gellner, and thank you so much for joining us. This episode is brought to you by Baseball Cloud. Baseball Cloud's revolutionary software platform brings to life the numbers captured by TrackMan and FlightScope. This provides colleges, players, and facility owners around the world a turnkey product, allowing them to analyze their data using key metrics and custom visualizations on one intuitive user interface. Go to BaseballCloud.com to find out how you can have your own data analytics department for your program. Data has a story to tell, and Baseball Cloud gives it a voice. During this episode, I interviewed Dimitri Kokoris, minor league pitching coach for the Toronto Blue Jays. Dimitri expresses his dedication to the game of baseball, and on the show, we talk about some different ways that he helps solve problems with pitching development, We talk about strategies he uses to enhance skill acquisition, communication with players, and how we can prioritize individual player development within the team structure. You're gonna love this episode, and here is Dimitri Kokoris. Dimitri, welcome to the show. Hey, Jonathan, man, thank you very much for having me. I'm excited about this. Oh, absolutely, and we've gotten to run into each other at some different coaches' clinics, and I know that after having a lot of different conversations, both on and off the mic and both in person and through text, I knew that you would be a perfect fit for the show and a guy of many travels that's been in college and professional baseball <laughs> now. And so I, well, let's start with that and let's go ahead and, and give us a short snapshot of who you are and why you decided to get into coaching. Yeah, man. Well, I was born and raised in Pasadena, California, and uh, I've always, baseball has always kind of spoke to me. The little league that I played in was literally two blocks away from my house. So I found myself not just playing in it, but being the field crew as well as being a scorekeeper in it well beyond after I stopped playing. And uh, it was something where I got to college and ended up being a student manager instead of playing on the team at the University of South Carolina, which was an awesome opportunity that I'm grateful to Coach Tanner for. And baseball was just something I always needed in my life. It was the first thing I did when I woke up in the morning was sat down and opened up the newspaper and checked out the box scores. Every listen to Ben Scully growing up on, on KCAL Channel 9 watching Dodger games from beginning to end. And it was just something that's, you know, I've always had a passion for. And so kind of as I got older, finished up, graduated from South Carolina, did an internship with the Pirates, found myself as a grad assistant at Cal State Fullerton, and really decided to go the college route because I liked how inclusive it was. I liked the recruiting piece on top of the developmental piece, the visionary piece, the fact that you got guys for multiple years and could really have a plan for them, how to develop them over three, four years found myself at the University of Oregon helping out Coach Horton start up that program and was just my whole my whole plan was just to be around the guys that I thought were the best and so Coach Horton did a phenomenal job as far as practice and organization and creating a culture was concerned got exposed to Andrew Checkett's up there who in 2011 I think we had 13 pitchers on staff 12 of which got drafted including a first second fifth and a seventh rounder all in the same class and turned me on the way to balls and mm-hmm. Ron Wolforth and started checking that out. And then went to learn, started, saw Kyle Bodie talk one day and 
and that kind of just kind of took everything off. So I think the developmental piece is really what kind of excited me was having this vision for putting things together and then uh, finding those pieces and where they fit and, and then how to get these guys to reach their maximum potential. I love that. And, and I love that, you know, you get to a couple of different topics that we're going to talk about today. We can talk on college and professional because, again, you've been in both realms. And, and so we're, we're in the middle of the offseason now. And so let's say that you we finally broke for offseason. And this is a very broad question, but take, in, take into account most of our listeners are at the amateur level. So you're thinking college, uh, a mm-hmm. lot of high school guys. What should offseason pitching development look like? And again, I know that that's a broad statement, but if you're tasked with taking over a program of one of those two places, or if someone is listening and going, Dimitri, I, where do I start in the offseason and, and what should the main ideas be? What would you tell them? I think something that I learned from the collegiate level that I saw guys be very successful was your offseason is really your best opportunity to change your body. I thought with the good programs that I was around, you definitely notice the difference between the sophomores, juniors, and seniors, and the freshmen physically. So it was a chance to gain strength. It was a chance to, if it's a mobility, flexibility issue, it was a really great chance to focus on your body in the offseason and grind that stuff out in the weight room and and make sure you're in good condition. So I think the number one thing is it's your best opportunity to work on strength, if that's something that's that's really needed, or, or just movement patterns in general. And I think that's another thing to take that too is, with the off season, there is no competitive environment. So it's your chance to really slow things down from a movement standpoint on your throwing. So I think that's your best opportunity if you want to make a mechanical adjustment to really dive into that. Discover your body, however that is that you want to go through that stretch. And I know yoga was something that really helped me out with that. Not that I'm very athletic, but it was something where at the age of 24, I took my first yoga class and I felt like I really felt my body and was able to get a lot more coordinated but you know whatever it is for guys and just really working on your delivery and what works for you and what feels right and what feels clean and repeatable and so that you can put yourself in the best position to come back with the adjustments that you need to make and then and then once the season starts just compete definitely definitely and again you get to see this from the top down from pro ball all the way down and and you get to see kids from all different ages, all different age groups, all different backgrounds, and even different countries speaking different languages. Are there any common problems that you see with just kids that we're working with in general? Again, taking into account most of our listeners are in the amateur sphere, but again, you're working with some teenagers that are 18-year-olds and 19-year-olds and early 20-year-olds, and a lot of our college and amateur coaches are coaching that same age. Is there a common thread or common problems that you see coming up consistently? youth development is concerned or yeah just as far as these are some different things that i've noticed that american kids are doing that if this is something that we want to fix or something that we we as amateur coaches can uh, fix in on the front end so you don't have to deal with it on the back end (laughs) yeah i mean I, i just think it's something where just building athleticism in general playing multiple sports or or just trying to find a way to discover your body and and just become efficient movers and I think that's something that happens just by competing and playing and, and, and getting strong and strengthening, whether it's in the weight room or, or just getting in different environments. And so the more athletic and fluid guys can be, the better off we they are on the back end because now we can get into stuff like pitch design. Now we can get into stuff like playing the game, you know, the deeper get inside the onion. And I think that's another piece too that's kind of, and the second one I would say is number one would be athleticism. Mm-hmm. And then number two, I would say is just teaching the game. Okay. There's, four bases and they're 90 feet apart you got three outs 
make sure they don't score or find a way to score a run. Theory of baseball, the, the, the team that scores the most runs in one inning is probably going to win the game. Mm-hmm. So how do you do that? How do you put up a crooked number? Or you go more of a picket sensor out where you're trying to put up one run every inning and see if you can score nine runs in every frame. And then from a pitching standpoint, just understand how to attack a lineup or who to go after and the importance of throwing strikes and, and just playing the game of baseball and just being aware of, of the rules of the game of baseball. And I think when guys, when kids play the game of baseball and they start competing and they start learning the little nuances and the tactics of the game, that's when they start doing things instinctually. That's when they start understanding, okay, the speed of the runner, where I got to throw, the strength of the arm of the infielder on a cutoff of the outfielder. Does the outfielder have to run all the way out to cut it because the guy's got a noodle arm or can he stay a little bit deeper and because the guy's got an actual hose or how his arm's feeling that day. And you can make those small little nuances and adjustments that are going to win championship games. I love that. And I think that we could all do a better job of making them love the game as much as we do. And that's why, I mean, that's why we're both in it. That's why all the listeners are listening because they love the game of baseball. And, and I think that that's something that we sh- you know, should at least try to instill in, in the youth uh, that we work with today. But another thing that you get asked a lot and, and everyone gets asked a lot, especially when they're new to coaching or they're trying to add something is, is video and how we use it and just some different things that we're looking yeah. for. And so again, it's kind of a blanket statement. And, but I, I do know that we all have some biases of, okay, somebody, if, if let's say, you know, you have a long lost cousin and, and they send you a video and they're like, Hey, Dimitri, <laughs> can you, can you break this down for me? You know, my pitching motion, yeah. you know, what mm-hmm. are you looking for? And what are some different things that you talk about? I know you mentioned athleticism earlier and that's a big deal. Mm-hmm obviously, mm-hmm. but what are some different things that you're looking for in video? Again, let's just take into account, not Edgertronic, but we're taking into account, you know, just your regular iPhone video. Yeah. If, if I'm looking at a guy on video for the first time, I just want to see the whole thing play. I just kind of want to see the rhythm and the timing. I want to see, make sure that the body accelerates at the right places, making sure that the arm takes over at the right spot. You know, I really want to see that the, the, the body is delivering the arm. And so I just want to see how the rhythm is. I want to make sure that it's fluid. So if there's any inconsistencies as far as that works, that goes, like maybe there's a herky-jerky piece or there's something that needs ironing out or just kind of fluiding, fluiding, making more fluid uh, or matching the delivery, mm-hmm. I think uh, that, that'd be something. I want to make sure all four limbs work together. Mm-hmm. So if you're deep in your backside, then you got to have a long front leg. You're probably going to have a long arm and you're probably going to need a long glove side to match to that. Mm-hmm. And that being said, if you're, you're short with your backside and short strider, you're probably going to need a short arm swing. You're probably going to need to have a short, compact glove side, and your, your front foot's got to get to where it needs to go pretty quickly. But I think as far as video goes, if I've seen a guy and I've had a guy around, I watch him throw every day and I watch him throw in a game, and then I get video of him, I want to see where his front arm is at weight-bearing foot strike. I want to make sure that his arm is at or inside 90 degrees at weight-bearing foot strike and that the arm's completely turned over and is, and is vertical. Uh, I think those are important as far as longevity health is concerned. So guys that have that type of uh, arm action and get in you know, that spot are able to sustain health. And I think that's our number one goal as developers is to make sure these guys stay healthy. Mm-hmm. And then we're able to increase performance from there because you can't, I mean, you can have a guy that's left-handed that throws 105 miles an hour with a wipeout slider, mm-hmm. filthy changeup, and that's deceptive. But if he's hurt, it doesn't do you any good. So I definitely want to get the weight-bearing foot strike and see where that arm is. And then the other thing would be if there's something funky in the delivery, sometimes I w- you watch guys play catch. Sometimes you watch a guy on the mound and he's throwing. And you notice like, something just doesn't look right. 
something just looks different. I'd probably go to that and see why. I try to figure out why. I remember a couple of years ago, there was a guy that was thrown and he had what looked like some bounce in his, in his arm action. That's all. That's the best way I know how to describe it, where it just looks like he got the arm up and the thing just kind of bounced, where it just, there was a lot going on back there. And we slowed it down on video. And what, what we were actually able to find was that at weight bearing foot strike, his shoulders were already open. So he's, his shoulders were square to home plate. And so that, that was something we immediately went to work on with some mobility, flexibility stuff and, and with some dry work. He was able to straighten that out. It actually went from like 83, 84 to like 90, 93. And uh, that was over two years, though. He added strength as well. There's other mm-hmm. factors. But that was, that was a big one. And so now if I see a guy that's got that, I call it bounce in the backside and that arm action, I'm guessing that's what it is, and I can take it to video, and we can most times nine out of ten. I think I've seen that from that point out. It, that's kind of been what it is. So, if there's something in the delivery that doesn't look right, or I just need to slow slow it down, I think that's where video really really comes into play and and seeing what it does. Oh, no, and it helps us to. I think it also helps us to fill in some gaps between what we see, what the player's feeling, and then we can work through the process together. And, yeah. And so yeah, so mm-hmm. I I think video. You know, we we talk about how much further the game is has advanced in the last 20 years. And I think video is a huge reason because of that. And so we, I saw you at the skill acquisition summit uh, a couple of weeks ago. Oh yeah. And so I, I think that, you know, we're on the right track as far as trying to be able to teach guys how to acquire skills long-term and faster. And so is there anything that you've picked up lately that you have noticed that has worked or anything that you used to use that you now use some different things or or just as far as skill acquisition goes, again, another broad question, but I kind of want to see where you're thinking with this. What are some, what are some, an area of skill acquisition that you've either gotten better at lately that's worked or something that you've tweaked because you've learned more about it? Uh, as far as skill acquisition is concerned, I think the things that I always go back to are start with the anatomy is just making sure that the guy is physically capable of performing the thing that you need that you would like to see within his movement pattern. So if it's, you know, front side block and making sure that he's got enough strength in that front leg as well as making sure that his hips actually work properly uh, in order to achieve that movement. So starting with the anatomy, a lot of the, a lot of the movement patterns that are being performed or changes in movement patterns start with the strength coach and with the athletic trainer. I joke a lot, but it's, it's true. I, the, when I stopped really diving in on mechanics on a day in and day out basis with players and kind of let handed that over to the strength coach and the athletic trainer, our guys' deliveries cleaned up, and we started competing better and throwing more strikes. So, and that kind of leads me to my second point was, um, so actually, let's finish the first one. The first one is just making sure that you know, if you want to change skill, you change the anatomy. If you want to change a movement pattern, you change the anatomy. And then the second piece is external cues. I think having external cues is something that make allows guys to, to make adjustments subconsciously. So, if it's just locating a pitch, making sure that that's where it needs to be or just have, how the action is on a guy's slider, making sure that they see it and then having external cues and putting him in as in many different environments as possible mm-hmm. to, to help the adaptation process for their body. And so I think those would be the two biggest things that I fall back on. Now, within that, there's different things that we're learning that I like, uh, whether it's, you know, the command balls, having those different sizes of balls that are helping guys with fastball or off-speed pitch development, mm-hmm. just tracking stuff. It's so simple, but you always go back. The deeper I get in the onion, I love the technology. I use it. I think it's fantastic. I think it's necessary. I think it's helping us. It's giving us more eyes on the situation. But then as far as the actual skill development goes, I I find myself going back as far as methodology is concerned to a lot of the old school tactics of just 
hey, throw a flat ground and see if you can throw 10 pitches for a strike with your slider at a 10. What number did you get up to? And that's allowing those, just going back to stuff like that or just having different constraint-based drills to do that stuff out of, just like a, like a flat-footed throw or just a foot strike throw where you kind of rock back and forth and throw the slider, taking out the lower half of that and allowing the player to really focus on his upper half and where his hand is at release and how he takes the ball out of the glove, stuff of that nature. So really understanding, I would say, the skill acquisition stuff is really kind of understanding that the anatomy stuff and the external cues and the external feedback, I would say, as well. And then, you know, as far as the actual process of skill acquisition is concerned, is just understanding which drills kind of match up with those rules to get the school skill that you're that you desire. Oh, that's fantastic! And you've also been in a again in the college environment, so you've been in the team setting of where you don't have an entire staff just dedicated to pitching development, which obviously a lot of our listeners don't have that as well. And so if you were going to give some advice on how you could prioritize different individual development within the team setting with either a small budget or a small staff, which you've been a part of, which is why I think this is a great question for you. What are some of the objectives or just overall goals that you would give them or just some different advice that you have? I think first and foremost, you got to understand your team and what you need each person to do. What role do they play? Uh, do you need a starter that's going to go deep in a game that's going to have to throw multiple pitches for a strike? Or is it a release pitcher that's going to be able to throw 90% sliders and throw those for strikes? And so once you kind of understand what it is that that individual needs to do, and then building on their strengths, making sure that they can execute that, that skill set to the best of their abilities. So, and then from there, I think the, the skill sets kind of prioritize themselves. As far as you're looking at a weakness, is the weakness a detriment to the club? Is the weakness a detriment to the individual? Or is it just something that would be nice to have? The weakness is something that's going to actually affect your club on a day-in and day-out basis, like your relief pitcher can't hold runners at first base, which is a big issue. Your closer can't hold runners on first base. That's a big issue. He's probably going to come in on a lot of one-run, two-run ball games, and he's going to be able to keep that 90 feet closed down. So that's something that he's going to have to work on. But if it's something, uh, does your... But if it's like a releaser doesn't have a third pitch or a changeup, like, yeah, that'd be nice for him to have, but it's not a necessity and it's not going to kill him. Or, you know, maybe a middle reliever is a little long to the plate. Guys mm-hmm. typically don't steal bases in the middle of the game. And if you've got a guy that's got like a, maybe he's got like a one four to the plate and you got to catch it with a one nine. Yeah, you'd like him to be less than that. You'd like him to be around a one two five, a one three five. But at the same token, like where he's coming out in the game, it's not going to kill him. And if he can execute pitches at a 1-4, you kind of let him, you're going to let him keep him that way. So I think you let the game kind of tell you what the priorities need to be. And then you kind of base it off of that, whether it's a strength goal, whether it's a pitch design goal, whether it's uh, just getting guys to throw more strikes. I think that's got to be the number one thing amongst amateur pitchers is just throwing strikes. Mm-hmm. And then just putting them, customizing environments for that and making them competitive whether it's competitive against themselves or whether it's competitive against other members of the team, have a tournament or have some sort of thing where they track their progress against themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think those are your best opportunities to improve. I like that. And while you're on the subject of deciding whether or not to, to scrap a pitch or whether or not to add one or decide which breaking ball or which off-speed pitch you want to throw in any given count, how do you go over that with, said player because little Johnny thinks he's got 16 pitches including a knuckleball and I mean and you're working <laughs> with you're working with the best the some of the best guys in the world and still you you know some of their curveballs suck and their sliders really good but they think the opposite so what does a conversation like that look like or I mean just take us through what the communication between that looks like 
Well, yeah, first and foremost, you got to listen. You listen to the player and, and what does he think is going on? What, what is his impression of the environment? What is, you know, why, why does he think it's a good pitch? Why does he think it's a pitch that needs improvement? Where does he want to use the pitch in the game? And then that'll allow you guys to get on the same page. A lot of times there's just a common, just a misconception that you can kind of help straighten the player out with. Or maybe he turns you on a little piece of information that you didn't realize that was actually a good piece and why maybe he does need that fourth pitch against lefties in it one of those situations to generate weak contact with. I don't know if amateur guys think that in depth. Some of them do, I know. But, you know, if he's got a good answer like that, now you can be guided a little bit more in the direction of, of what you want to do with that guy. But, but ask him questions. Find out where he's coming from, what his perspective is, how he wants to use his stuff, why he thinks his stuff is good, what he thinks he needs improving on. And then I think the next piece of it would definitely be, if you do want to make changes, is having objective data, showing him showing them with the numbers. Hey, man, uh, I know you think your knuckleball is a good pitch, but you throw this a 20% strike clip in such and such situations. That's a pitch that if you're throwing it at 20% versus your, your slider, you throw it 60%. We're going to need strikes, and you're going to need to cut that out. Or something else, or maybe it's, yeah, hey, I know you like your slider, and you think this is a good pitch. You, you like backdooring this to righties. But if you look at your changeup, uh, when you throw that against lefties, they hit 120 against it when on, bat, on balls put in play. So I think versus lefties, you need to up the amount that you use this pitch. So it gets that individual bought in. And I think you got to take it back to the three things that you want to do with the pitch. Do you want it for a called strike? Do you want it for a swing and miss? Or do you want it for weak contact? Sure. And they've got to understand their arsenal, lefties, righties, and what situations, how they're going to use their stuff. And I think if they understand getting on the same page with them that with that where if they understand that and then they understand how they're going to get out and how they're going to approach guys in different situations it's a lot easier to work on the pitch and then going back to kind of what we're talking about is it's super important to start with the result of the pitch what is the pitch doing currently and what would we like the pitch to do is okay your slider's good you're throwing that for strike a lot but it's getting hit a lot and you have a good changeup that gets weak contact you have a good fastball, but you need a wipeout pitch to righty, so we need to improve the slider so it can get swings and misses. And then going into the data to see how you can kind of make that adjustment. Looking at kind of arm slots where his slot matches up versus guys that throw that slider from a similar position, looking at spin rates, things of that nature. How can we shape this pitch versus guys that get a lot of whiffs that have similar metrics to get the result that you want? And then you roll out the edutronic put that bad boy up. And again, it's about generating awareness. A lot of times, especially, you know, both coaches and players, you think the pitch is doing one thing, you think you're releasing it one way, and then you look at the edutronic and you realize, oh my gosh, that's completely wrong. You're releasing it, you know, you think your changeup's coming off of your ring finger and it's actually coming off of your pointer finger. I mean, that's, a, that's an enormous change. Or you think you're pulling down on your fastball on the seam, but it turns out as you release the ball, you're in the, the white, your finger pads are on the white of the baseball and you can't get any traction. So those little adjustments kind of sort themselves out when you generate awareness. But then it's with the edutronic, it's coming up with a plan. Okay, what do we want this to look like? And then it's matching up different drills with how to get that stuff accomplished. Okay, we want you to get more behind the baseball, increase your spin efficiency on this. So, okay, how are we going to do this? Okay, we've got these balls that we've colored that it'll give you instant feedback when you play catch and what it feels like to increase your spin efficiency. The line's going to be, you know, more solid versus being wobbly or mm-hmm. hey we you know we want to help you out as far as your your breaking ball is concerned we want to tighten that up let's play catch with a softball uh, that's going to exaggerate any movement so to tighten it up with a softball 
you're going to get that instant feedback where if you cast it and you get around it, that thing's going to pop right out. You're going to be able to see that thing move. And I'm just telling that guy, hey, you need to get to a point with your slider where it can break late, where you almost can't see it break. If you can notice that the pitch is breaking, then it's not a good pitch. That's not where we need it to be. And then just helping them out with those ex- external cues and then giving them those different, just different tools within the environment to change the environment up and give them exaggerated feedback, which I think is, is really, really important. Right. Definitely. And while we're talking about communication, you are working with guys who speak multiple languages and English may not yeah. be their first language, whether that's Spanish yeah. or I'm sure you've got all kinds of different languages or that you're working with. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And Absolutely. so you talked about external cues quite a bit, but you've also talked about listening. And I mean, what, what's your advice if it's for guys in pro ball who are working with a similar players than you to you, or if it's somebody in an amateur level that may have one or two kids that are similar to that, or, or just anybody that is, that is working with different players from not only differing backgrounds and different languages, but even education levels too. So after your first year of going through the, this, this whole thing, what, what would be your best advice for someone who's going into it? Man, number one would be make it a point to communicate with them on a day in and day out basis is, is despite the fact that a guy doesn't, you, you don't necessarily speak the first, same first language as, as an individual, or, you know, you don't have a language in common, or maybe they're not at the level intelligence wise within the art of baseball and pitching that you want them to be, sure. make it a point day in and day out to communicate with that guy. Because what ends up happening is we all kind of we're creatures of comfort. So we're all going to revert to the guys that we get along with and mm-hmm. that we talk to that stimulate us and that we have things in common with. So it's easier to kind of gravitate towards those guys that speak English and things of that nature, but fight, resist that urge, make it a point on a day in and day out basis. Hey man, I got to at least say a couple of things, try to initiate, try to engage in some sort of conversation with this guy, whether it be baseball related or not, but just, and then just talk to them about their outings, prove that you're watching, build their trust. So that first thing would definitely be is just make it a point day in and day out to communicate with that guy. Because if you don't, you're going to find yourself gravitating away from it. I think number two would definitely be don't be afraid to ask for help. Whether you have a player on the team that also speaks is bilingual, that speaks the same language, grab that individual, go and talk to them, or whether it's another coach or that's there to help you out with that stuff, grab that person, have that person come and help you out and, and translate for you. Mm-hmm. And so don't be afraid to ask for help because the most important thing is, is the kid and it's that kid's development and the fact that he's getting your best day in and day out. And if you have to swallow your pride on certain things and grab a, uh, somebody to help translate for you so that that kid understands the message, then you do it. You got to do what's best for that person. No, completely agree. And, and I love that answer. And I love that you're being a little vulnerable in all of those things, which I think can obviously lead to a greater connection. And, oh, yeah. and you mentioned earlier that obviously we, we don't want to ever injure pitchers. And so I think workload management is something that is becoming more oh, yeah. and more important. And so what are your thoughts on on that as a kind of a general question. And then, I mean, is, is that something we're all working towards and getting better at? What are your thoughts on, you know, how we can do a better job of that? Yeah, I, I would say first and foremost with workload management, so it's something that I'm really committed to again, because as far as we talked about this earlier, health is my number one concern. I want to make sure I keep guys healthy. Uh, we should all be that way. And I think we all are. And so committing to the fact that workload is the number, the, Pitchers who throw with fatigue is the number one source of injury, according to studies out there. And so making sure that we're keeping these guys in a position where they go on the mound as fresh as possible and are able to compete that way. So I would say going off of that is is having a plan, having a program, whether it be number of pitches between days or 
number of days rest after X amount of pitches thrown, I think for me, that's where it starts. So if a guy throws X amount of pitches, he's got X amount of days off and then working through the line, five days off, four days off, three days off, two days off, how many pitches thrown in a certain day, how many outings he can have and having some sort of process and program from there. I think that's super important. I think that's number one. Number two is checking in with your athletes on a day in and day out basis and getting them to talk to you about how they feel, how their arm feels. I think having an initial conversation with guys saying, hey, man, everybody's arm gets tired. Everybody's arm gets tired after they throw. If you throw 200 pitches the next day, I don't care if you have the cleanest delivery in the world, your arm's going to get tired somewhere. So making sure that you have that communication and, and making sure that they become comfortable with telling you where their arm gets tired and that they can have that conversation. And then, and then just checking in with them daily. Hey, man, how do you feel? Scale of 1 to 10. Were you tired? Where are things going on? How are you feeling today? And then guys will start opening up to you, to you about stuff. Hey, and then talk to them. Hey, we're in a good position. You need an extra day off. We got extra arms in the, in the bullpen. Like, we can bump you back. It's not going to affect your standing in the organization. It's not going to affect, you know, your, what we think of you. But if that's what you need, then that's what we're going to go with. And then, so, so making sure you have that constant communication. You, you create a language and, 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 and trust where you're constantly checking in with that guys. You'll find that you got some guys that need a little bit extra time and you can, you can change their throwing program up and you find some other guys that bounce back a little bit quicker. Some guys that when they throw high volume, they're good with that and they're fine the next day. And some guys that anytime they touch the mound, they need, you know, certain, certain time off. And so just checking in every day, asking them that, putting the pieces together, monitoring their throwing program. I would say take it upon yourself to see where a guy's at. Is he going to go long yesterday? Okay. If he went long yesterday, how's he feel today? How's he bounce back from that? Okay. We gave him one day rest off. How much did that help? Okay. Let's give him two days off. Okay. He's full. He's back. Okay. We gave him one day off. Now we gave him two days off. It's the same. So he's a one day off guy. So really just having those discussions with those players and finding out where they're at, how they feel, making sure that you're tracking that you're monitoring that. You're, you're monitoring all that stuff. You're monitoring whether it's game pitches or whether it's, it's a throwing program. And then I would say that's, that's the, big, the, the third piece. So you've got a system. You're checking in with your players daily. And then the third piece is just customizing the throwing program, finding out when they're going to throw for you, and then figuring out what it is that they need to do as far as activation day is concerned, as far as light catch play is concerned, as far as long toss goes, and as far as off days are concerned. How do you program that? into their throwing program to give them the best opportunity to feel fresh on that day that they throw and give them the amount of recovery time they need in between. I'd say the fourth thing coming up too is use the technology. Uh, things like Catapult and Modus are coming out. Use it. Use it, man. Just stick them on there and, 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 and help them out. I'm, I'm learning a lot about acute to chronic work, work ratio, and that's something that's new for me. So that's, that's something in the offseason I've made a priority to dive into and get better at. But any chance that you have to help monitor stuff and, and put stuff on it, like it, it can't hurt. It's not going to hurt, guys. And so it's just extra numbers and extra feedback. If you like, if the feedback matches up and things are good, that's great. If sometimes it doesn't match up and you think there's, it can be modified a little bit and that's fine too. But there'll also be situations where you think one thing and the technology tells you something else and you end up saving a guy. And that's, that's what we're looking for. So use it, use it, use the, all the new stuff, catapult, modus, all that stuff. Just if you have an opportunity to go for it. I love that. And that's obviously leads me right into my next question, which we're getting more and more into just all kinds of different data to look at. So we've got thousands of different things we can look at. And so I think that we all need to decide and have a system for deciding what's important to us and actually like simplifying it as much as we can. So we, I mean, we want to understand it, but we also need to simplify it in a way to be able to translate it to every player that we work with. Mm -hmm. And so 
What are some of some of your favorite data to track or just to look at? And how do you use it? How do you communicate it to the player? And just again, we are all in a sense swimming in things that we can look at. And so <laughs> I'm, I'm, I know that you know that firsthand. And so help us help us try and figure out a system that we can all kind of take a little bit from everybody and just develop our own. But I mean, what's your best advice in any of that? Yeah, just remember, it starts with runs. <laughs> it starts with runs allowed, whether it's earned run or unearned runs. Like the goal of the game is to make sure that the batter doesn't touch the white thing, because if your your team has touches the white thing more than their team touches the white thing, you win. And I think it's got to start there. Does this guy give up runs? And then if he gives up runs, why? Looking at, you know, what are the easiest things to kind of to, to go with? Okay, well, does he walk guys? Does he allow free bases? Does he get hit hard? What's his batting average against? What's his slugging percentage against? Does he get, you know, and then separate it, righties versus lefties. Does he get hit hard versus righties? Does he get hurt versus lefties? Does he have a tough time throwing strikes versus righties? Does he have a tough time throwing strikes versus lefties? Well, uh, pitch usage, righties versus lefties. You know, I'm embarrassed about it, but it's true. It took me three quarters away through season one year to realize that we had a lefty on the mound who wasn't throwing his best pitch to lefties because it was a changeup. <laughs> so we hadn't seen a lot of lefties. And uh, one, we faced a lineup where there was six out of nine starters were lefties, and we faced them twice, and he got torched. I was trying to figure out why, and then all of a sudden I look at the numbers, and I'm like, oh, hey, uh, do you not throw your changeup versus left-handed hitters? He's like, no, he's a left-handed pitcher. He's like, no, my curveball's way better. I'm like, yeah, uh, you're we, we, we need to throw that. <laughs> we need to mix that in. So I would start with results, whip, slugging percentage against, on-base percentage against, things of that nature, lefty versus righties, runners in scoring position, nobody on, things of that stuff. And then just kind of digging deeper into it. I like below. I like it when guys throw hard. You know, you're going to have – you can make a lot more mistakes for the most part at 100 than you can at 91. Mm-hmm. So checking out where guys below are, how consistent they are with it, at what point of the game. If you're lucky enough to have a track man, I really like release points. I like making sure that your pitches are all coming out of the same slot, the same area. So that's something I think is, is really important as far as deception is concerned. So making sure that your fastball and your slider are both the same or your fastball and your changeup are both coming out of the same release point, that your changeup's not you know, a foot lower and so that hitters can identify stuff like that. And then you know the, the rap setup stuff super important just understanding how to work that. But I would say as far as the track man and the rap set goes, pick as many people's brain as you can around you. Make sure, you know, a lot of people have access to that stuff and a lot of people are finding out different things with it. There's a lot of different theories out there. So I think that stuff's in its infancy. Obviously we're familiar with the data, but how that data applies, I, I would say pick as many people's brain as humanly possible as far as that information is concerned and how they utilize it and how they use it to get better. That's something I'm also in the process of doing right now. And so I, I, I would go there and then just watching video on stuff and making sure you're tracking location of your pitches and making sure that your pitches end up, ended up where they actually wanted to be or where they needed to be and making sure that your misses are where they need to be. I think if you're trying to throw everything in a specific location and you're, you're kind of, you have a small little tight little window and you just, you're only content with hitting your spot then you're going to have a lot of failure, especially as a pitcher. I think understand if you're, if you're trying to go down on away with your fastball, understand that, you know, if you miss in the dirt against the three hole hitter, that's a good thing versus if you miss up and over the dish, then that ball can absolutely get annihilated. So tracking location and tracking where your misses are and making sure they're quality misses. I think that's an important piece of that and information to look into. Oh, definitely. And again, there's just so much that we're being able to take in a track and trying to decide, 
what's important to us, what's important to the pitcher, and I obviously that can help help narrow it down a ton. But I think that thank you for sharing mm-hmm. that with us because that gives us a look and decide you know what what you found important and what has obviously worked effectively lately. Yeah, man. But you know another thing that, that hey, I you like, got a track man too. I could you could go go for hours on that. The track man's got unbelievable data as far as that stuff's concerned, and and that's that's fantastic. I know not, not a lot of people have access to that, but if you can find a way to get a guy to pitch in front of a track man, I highly suggest it. No, no doubt, no doubt. And so uh, I I like to end the show with just some different quick hitters. And so obviously the first one sure. is is what's something that you've learned lately that's gotten you really excited, and it's just something that I know you're a lifelong learner. So what uh, what's something that you've learned lately? Just understanding how axis of rotation really affects pitchers and pitches. Just understanding how that stuff matches up, and the fact that each of them don't necessarily need to be different, and and how those things influence each type of pitch. So really diving into axis of rotation, and the other one is approach angle. Approach angle of the pitch is it's an extremely important stat, data piece of data. So diving into that, I would say that's super important. A lot of the stuff that I'm doing recently is is more like recharging from the season. You know, pro ball, you go. We were in short season, so it was. 78 games in a pretty small window and uh so it's just kind of some self-discipline stuff as far as just working on myself working on my body working on my mindset getting into some bruce lee stuff and some other things as far as discipline is concerned because i think that consistency as far as coaching is concerned is is super important i think early on in my coaching career i was very emotional and i was a different guy on a day in and day out basis and i think that was something that from my players i got a lot of negative feedback about where they love the passion and they love the energy. But I think as I get older and as I mature more, I'm able to be the most consistent version of myself. And then, so reading stuff as far as, you know, the Jocko Willick stuff on discipline, Bruce Lee's got a lot of really, really good stuff about emotion and finding the middle ground. So a lot of deeper stuff and just doing a lot of like the players work on themselves in the off season physically, you know, I'm doing the same thing physically and mentally and spiritually. I love that. And so my next question, again, quick hitters, and I, I think that obviously you're doing a great job there, but what is something that you do in training that your players love, whether it's, you know, you come to the field and you're like, hey guys, we're doing this today. They just go nuts. What is it? <laughs> I mean, first and foremost, it always starts with customization. It always starts with making sure that the, the, that the program makes sense to them, that they understand what they're getting out of on a, a throwing program. And so it starts with with customizing stuff, making it fun, making it interesting, but, but, but listening to them and making sure that they know why they're doing stuff. So I think our guys get a lot out of their throwing program on a day in and day out basis because they understand the why behind it. They understand why they're doing it. But then I think the, the thing that they really, really enjoy, I would say two pieces of that. Number one is anything that you can put a competition around. It's a, if you got to do PFPs, which I think are important, do PFPs, but make it a competition, go through the fundamentals, but then end on it with a competition. If you got to do something in throwing program, find a way to match them up and have them compete. We've got a game, a flat ground game called out based off of the rules of horse, where you have two guys that are matched up with each other. You can do it flat ground. I really like doing it off of just a short box off the mound at lighter intensity where, you know, the one guy goes, you know, fastball to a right-handed hitter down and away. If you execute it, so the next guy's got to execute it. And what it really helps with is find a guy who is learning a pitch, like a changeup, and then match him up with a guy that has a good changeup because it's going to give him a lot more incentive and motivation to learn that changeup when he keeps on getting his butt kicked and out and he wants to make sure that that doesn't happen because mm-hmm. these guys are competitive and they want to win at stuff. So the more competitive environments you can put them in, the better. And then the second thing I would say is anything that can help them out with feel, anything that can help them feel stuff. I do like video. I think it's important at times. I'm very careful with video what I show. But I think things like plyo balls, I think things like the core velocity belt, 
things of that nature, uh, where guys can really feel their delivery. They can really discover stuff, you know, really feel what it's like to screw on that back hip and, and allow that to get them down the mound. Things of that nature, I think, are, are extremely important. So anything that can exaggerate feels, you know, weighted implements, I think, are so important as far as building proprioception is, is concerned and just building awareness and, and having guys discover their bodies. So, yeah, anything along that nature, I think, is, is guys love and they get a lot out of it. All right. Uh, my next question is, okay, so you've heard the Desert Island question where you can only take three things, right? <laughs> no, no okay. I haven't. So let, let's say you're you're stranded on a deserted island. You're oh only gosh. allowed to take three pitching tools. What three pitching tools would those be? Baseballs. Okay. <laughs> and I would go as far as go the, the command command baseballs okay. that the uh, driveline's got out there. Mm-hmm. They've got, you know, the different sizes and different weights. I would definitely go with that. Some sort of target or target pad. I know Oat Specialty sells those. There's command trainers. There's different things, but different types of targets and target pads and stuff like that. And then uh, a radar gun. Give them that feedback. Let them know how hard they're throwing. Okay. Very good. I like that. And again, that's that's a question more for the small budgeted guys that are listening. Uh, obviously, those three things are, are fairly affordable. And this is a question that my wife and I were discussing the other day of, uh, you know, we do, we do table topic questions, which it's, you know, once you're married for several years and then you have a baby and we both are teachers, so we run out of things to talk about at times. So we started searching, scouring the internet for good questions. And this was yeah. one that came up is what is something that you believe that other coaches may disagree with you about or have discussions about? Everything. <laughs> Depends on who you're talking with. Okay. I'm just a big fan of listening to guys and seeing where they're coming from in their different environments. I think I'm, I'm having the privilege of coaching in college environment, professional environment, junior college environment, you know, all the different levels in college. I understand that, that different environments require different things and, and demand different things out of you. So when coaches get in discussions about things and they become passionate about something, it's because it's worked in the given environment that they've had. So I'm always going to listen to what they say, and I'm always going to try to figure out, okay, what was the environmental demands that caused that belief to be successful for that coach? And then should I come across that environment, how can I replicate that? So, I mean, I got this, stole this from Eugene Bleeker. He talks about everything's a teach and everything's a Mm non-teach. It just depends on who the individual is. Drills are drills for a reason. I didn't just make up drills for fun because for no reason. Like they, they made them up because drills stick around because they work. And so I think it's your responsibility as a coach to figure out, okay, what environment is this drill necessary? And what environment is this drill going to become effective in? And that's why I think it's super important to always be talking, to be learning, to be observing your environment, whether that be your players, whether that be the league that you're in, whether it be your ballpark or just all the different factors on a day in and day out basis so that you can understand the demands from that environment. And then you can diagnose the remedy to build the skill set that you you need. No, oh, fantastic! And again, it's it's your your. I guess that I guess that would right. I, that would be it. Yeah. If, if any if any coach said that everything's the same and this is what it is required to have success at every level X Y and Z and this is what you have to do, mm-hmm. I would disagree with that. That's something that that would bother me. Okay, um, is that you need to do it X way all the time everywhere? Like mm-hmm. that's that's for me. That's just uh, that's not something that I'm I'm keen on. Hundred percent, and so I mean, this is a fairly general question, which uh, has to do with resources, and and so you've you've mentioned several throughout the podcast, and so if if you're going to just sum up for 
anyone who is wanting to dig into more pitching resources and to kind of see uh, and start develop their pitching philosophy. Maybe it's a young coach or maybe it's just a coach that would like to dig into something over the, you know, over the break or the off season. What would a couple of those be? I think the first thing you got to understand is where you're at as, as far as your education is concerned and what your environment is. For me as a, I'll kind of walk you through kind of the resources that I've come across and why I chose them. As far as a pitching coach is concerned, I'll look at stuff that Brent Strom puts out, whether that be his stuff from the Texas Baseball Ranch to the Ultimate Pitching Coaches Boot Camp. All that stuff's really, really good, but specifically the Strom stuff's important. Derek Johnson's book, anything Wes Johnson puts out. So if I want to be a better pitching coach, I think the first place that I got to look at is other pitching coaches. And whether that be at the professional level or whether that be at the same level that you're at, I think collegiately I stole a lot of stuff from, from coaches that I coached against. When I was at Santa Barbara City College, Quest of Bob Miller was really good, and I took a lot of stuff from him. I threw a lot of oh oh fastballs, big jump ahead in the count. When I was at Point Loma, Gary Adcock, who's at Cal Baptist, did a good job developing secondary pitches and, and really and putting an emphasis on striking guys out. I think that's something I stole from them. So for me, that's kind of where that goes. As far as movement patterns are concerned, driveline, hacking the kinetic chain is fantastic. Always love the Paul Nyman stuff. Anytime you can hack into some Paul Nyman stuff and, and really – chew through it because it is thick and it is heavy and it takes a lot of time oh it's a huge rabbit hole but it's fantastic the stuff lance lance is doing is really really good and then the the other guy i go back to that i'm that i've dove into this off season is dr mike marshall uh and his stuff online he's got a website that's free but just understanding his thoughts and beliefs around movement patterns and things of that nature so diving into that stuff i think is is super important and you're taking that to the 90s oh man absolutely (laughs) <laughs> it works. If it works, it works. You know sure. what I mean? And there's certain stuff. And I think it's understanding it. I think there's not all of it stuff that I agree with, but I think it's understanding where this stuff comes from mm-hmm. and it's understanding kind of the base and, and the root of it. And so I think as far as other stuff goes, I think Twitter, if, if you're a coach, you don't, I mean, it's some, you can use it for promotion and you can use it for making contacts and connections. I think that's very important, but I think, you know, a lot of guys that I know have Twitter accounts. They don't even have, they don't even have a face on their deal, but they just follow a handful of accounts. And if you're, you're not following Pitching Ninja, I think that's a mistake mm-hmm. because the interviews, I want to hear from professionals what they think. I don't care if it's what actually happens, feel versus real, but I do want to know when he throws, well, you know, when Clayton Kershaw goes and throws curveball, what are his thoughts? What are his feels? When Aroldis Chapman talks about his delivery, you know, how he gets down the mound, what are his thoughts? What are his feels? And he does, Pitching Ninja does such a good job of finding interviews and and diving into that stuff and then just seeing how pitches are shaped. Good guys that have good pitches is just looking at that stuff and seeing how that stuff is shaped and getting to know that. And so the more you can get exposed to that high level stuff, the more you can recognize that within your practice setting and the more that you can identify that with a guy and have him use it more, or you can say, no, that's not necessarily where it needs to be. You're not getting results on that. Maybe this is a shape because you throw from this arm slot and this is a guy that you want to look at. Mm-hmm. I love that. And obviously a lot of those guys are original goats for sure. And, Obviously, Rob yeah. does a fantastic job, and again, it's if you're listening to this podcast, you are probably following Pitching Ninja, so that's that's fantastic. But yeah. if anyone wants to get in touch with you and just talk with you about anything that you talked about, what would be oh, the best gosh. way to do so? Twitter. Twitter is the easiest way to do so. Uh, my handle is uh, at Coach Kokoris. Coach spelled normal with my last name, K-O-K-O-R-I-S. My direct messages are open. DM me. Uh, I'll say this once. I'll say it a million times. 
I'm going to learn more from you than you are from me. Whoever's reaching out, you know, I'm going to share whatever I have. I'm an open book. Uh, there's nothing. I find the more you give out, the more stuff that you put out there, the more stuff that you get back and the better that you become. So you got any questions for me as far as anything goes, or if you want to contact, re- link up with me or contact me or anything like that, give me a, give me a follow. Everybody can always use more followers, but, but reach out to me, shoot me a direct message. And that would be, I think that's, that's the best way. If not, if you've got email, dimitri.kokoris at bluejays.com, shoot me over an email. I got no problem uh, responding to that and, and we can touch base that way. But I, I learned, I do dive into literature. I think it's important, but I learned via conversation. I learned via interacting with people. People inspire me. And uh, the more people that I can come into contact, the more I can learn. So I don't care who you are. If you're a JV coach out there, if you're director of player development with an organization, I don't care who you are. If you're, you know, picking up baseball for the first time in Japan or Ethiopia, like reach out to me. I want to hear about you. I want to hear about your experiences. And if you have any questions of me, I'll share what I think I know. And the more I dive into this, the more I realize I know absolutely nothing. But, but I'll share with you my experiences and what I've seen. And, and then, you know, we can kind of jump on this journey together. I love it. And again, Dimitri, thank you so much for being so transparent, so vulnerable, and, and just taking a, a ton of time to answer questions yeah. so eloquently. But again, I'm going to open up the mic for you. Is there anything else that you'd like to tell our listeners before you go? Just learn every day. That's it's what's working for me. Is I'm Initially, I got into this and I had certain goals as far as what level I wanted to achieve and um, where I wanted to be. And then there hit a certain point where I was, you know, a little concerned with what the next step was and X, Y, and Z. And, you know, it's embarrassing to kind of admit, but it's true. And so I shifted my focus completely from that to, I've always been player oriented, but I think I just fully immersed myself in the players and helping them out day in and day out basis. And then I found the other stuff, you know, it takes care of itself. For me, if I find a way to be full-time coaching JV baseball and I can run a program, like I'll be happy being a pitching coach that way or teaching the game that way. And it's just, finding a way to just truly love the game and where you're at, the people you're at. Cause another thing too, is on a professional level, I've run across the exact same personalities and kids that I did coaching junior college baseball and having built up some success or, or having failed, really having failed with those JC kids and then building up some success. Other ways, you know, you're going to run into the same personality. So dive into the, the, whoever you're at, dive into them like the most important person in the world. And you'll be shocked. Those personalities circle around at any level, professional or wherever you're at. And so just really be where your feet are, crush, you know, crush that communication. It's going to, it'll benefit you because, you know, just because they're pro guys, they're still 18 to 23 year old kids that I've got and they still have the same issues. And, and as the junior college kids, as the high school kids. And so doing your best job with those guys, it's going to translate into a skill set that's going to help you regardless of your environment. Thank you for listening to Ahead of the Curve. You can subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, which can include Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, or YouTube. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please share it on social media to help get the word out. Once again, thank you for joining us.